Welcome. If somebody asked you to explain the difference on the spot between Armed Forces Day, Memorial Day, and Veterans Day, would you be able to do that? Hi, my name is Tiffany Marching, and you are listening to the Medal of Honor podcast. Before we jump into this episode and hear from other people, I want to be able to give you just a quick, distinct difference between these three holidays. Armed Forces Day is the holiday in which we recognize and honor those individuals who are currently serving in military uniform. Veterans Day is the holiday that happens in November when we recognize those who once served in the military but are no longer serving in military uniform. They have exited the military for various reasons. Retirement, the end of a contract, whatever the case may be, they once served in uniform and no longer do. Memorial Day is the day in which we honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. Those individuals, while in military uniform, paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we are able to enjoy. Memorial Day is always a tough day for those who've served. My family and I commemorate Memorial Day by running our town's Memorial Day ceremony at our local cemetery done in conjunction with our Scouts BSA troop. My son just crossed over into Scouts and will lead this year's commemoration ceremony for our town. He's 10 and is in charge of the entire thing from start to finish. My other son did the same thing for the last three years on Memorial Day. It's a very simple ceremony of reading the Presidential Proclamation for Memorial Day, the reading of Flanders Field, the reading of the the Fallen, followed by the playing of taps. We do this to remember, to teach the community about Memorial Day, and to instill in our scouts, aka future leaders in our communities, the sense of sacrifice for our nation. So Memorial Day for a lot of people is it's a three day weekend. It's it's the start of the of the summer season. It's it's barbecues and picnics. Uh, It's going to the beach. Uh, You know, it's the start of summer. But for those of us who serve. um, Memorial Day means a little bit more. There's no such thing as happy Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day where we reflect on those who were killed in action. It's a a day we reflect on those who were killed in action. Those who who paid the ultimate price um, for serving and for honoring our country. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you raise your right hand to, to join one of the services, you're writing a check. 
and the check says, um, I will pay up to my life. And then if you if if you make it to getting out or retiring, you get the check back. And there's always something missing from the check. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but those who we honor on Memorial Day never got their check back. Um, that was cashed in. And so um, I will spend this Memorial Day spending a little bit of time by myself reflecting on my friends and my brothers and sisters who've not only passed on because of battle, but those who passed on, period. No, no, I, I say go out and celebrate um, because you're celebrating the, the, those lives. You're celebrating those service members who are willing to sacrifice and no, not willing who did sacrifice. I was willing. I didn't. They were willing and did. But what I'm saying is. Take a moment. In the middle of your barbecue, in the middle of your pool party. Uh, in the middle of the picnic take a moment 30 seconds a minute just to give thanks that's all How about, how about we look at it this way? In the middle of all your drinking, take a second to raise your glass and, and cheers those who sacrifice for us. There you go. I right, you know, was, we wouldn't be here without you. Salud. Go back to doing whatever you do. You know, um, but yeah, just, just recognize. That's all. I don't. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't know anybody. They they passed away, in in uh, in action or not. Um, KIA. Oh, I I got a lot of friends. Yeah. I got a lot of friends um, who know a lot of people. Like, um, uh, 
like uh, Monday's going to be a tough day for them. You know, because, you know, guys who were in platoons that, you know, lost 10, 15 people. Guys who went out on squads where, you know, squ- uh, where they were the only ones who survived. You know, a lot of special forces guys, a lot of rangers. And yeah, I know I, I know a lot of people who Monday is going to be tough for. It's it it's it's going to be solemn for me, but not tough. Sure, and, and you know, infantrymen and gunners and, and uh, you know, and, yeah, those all, all those guys who 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 saw combat, um, including medics. Uh, you know, medics. I don't think get a. Uh, enough credit uh, for what they've seen. Um, they obviously get credit for the lives they've saved, especially by those who um, those who've seen um, action. But I don't think medics get credit for, for for the lives that, or 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 how do I put this? I don't think medics and and, and corpsmen. I don't think that they get a empathy that they should get for those that they lost. I often think of my Air Force Academy brother, Lance Sijon, who I wasn't really very close with, but I know his sister now. He was killed in January of 1968 while being held as a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton. He received posthumously the Medal of Honor. You know, in that moment when I, I heard about him being killed, I was just so distraught. I, 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 nothing was right as far as I was concerned. Everything just was just trying to play catch up on, on what I just heard. It, it was hard. It was hard for me. Um, to make matters worse, about 20 minutes after finding out that my brother was killed, our own unit started uh, taking fire from the village that we had just come out of. Uh, obviously, the Afghan army didn't do a great job clearing the houses. Um, they missed a few RPGs and some AK-47s that the villagers were using now to uh, use to attack us. And so my grieving, that I was in the very early initial stages of grieving, turned straight to anger. I was so angry at the people of Afghanistan for not being able to take care of their country on their own and requiring people like my brother and the thousands of others who have come to Afghanistan and had lost their lives there, um, requiring them to come there and die. Like that to me just was like, I can't forgive that. I can't 
excuse that kind of thing. Like you should be able to take care of your own country. We shouldn't even be here. Uh, and that's, that was my thought in that moment. Um, and I was so angry at all of the people of Afghanistan, whether I knew them or not, I was angry at our interpreters. I was angry at the Afghan soldiers that we were with. I was angry at all the people who lived in that village and everyone else who lived in Afghanistan. I was just angry at all of them. I was so angry that I had this fleeting thought that came over me. And I said, I want to just go down back into this village and I want to kill every last person that I see, whether they have a weapon in their hand or not. I don't care. I want to kill them all. I realized, though, that if I was to do something like that and, and act on that impulse, that I wasn't going to make it out alive. Um, it wasn't that I was suicidal, that I, I wanted to do, you know, death by uh, the enemy, I guess, in that case. Right. Um, but the way the way some people do a, a death by cop or or whatever, um, it wasn't like I wanted that. I just. I just had that raw rage emotion and I just wanted to go fight. I wanted to kill. I, wa I just wanted to get it out of me. And I, I wanted to just go, go fight everybody that I saw. But I realized if I did that, I wasn't going to make it out alive. And I knew that I, I couldn't do that to my parents. I couldn't let them lose two kids in the same day. Um, that would be, just so tragic for them. Fast forward a little bit to uh, the end of August of 2010. Um, our unit was doing these missions where it took us away from our main base and we, we were stationed someplace else. And we were doing these uh, missions where we were flying out to these villages where there was suspected Taliban activity. And we were doing a joint mission with the Afghan army. And we had we were tasked with training them with some of our techniques and some of our uh, uh, ways of doing things for clearing buildings and urban operations and, and stuff like that. And it was a very difficult uh, task to do because it was during the month of Ramadan, which is a Muslim holiday where they, uh, from sunrise to sunset, they don't eat or drink or anything like that. Um, and they only eat and drink at night after the sun has gone down. And so in August in Afghanistan, it's incredibly hot. And our training time was during the day. And if you haven't eaten or drink anything all day, you're not really going to be up for going out and doing training in, in the 120 plus degree heat, right? So uh, we'd maybe get an hour out of them at, at most uh, before they just wanted to go find a shady, cool spot to hang out and, and just rest for the rest of the day until they can finally eat or drink something. Um, so it, it, that was hard. That was, it was almost like herding cats. Uh, like it just trying to get them all in one place and actually doing something, uh, especially with the language barrier, you know, we were working through a translator. It, it just, it was hard. Uh, it was really difficult. Um, but then we would go out on, on these missions and we'd fly out to these remote villages and the Afghan army didn't at the time didn't have any night vision goggles. So we'd have to wait till sunrise to go into these villages. Um, of course, the 
loud helicopters landing on the mountaintops outside of the villages probably gave away the fact that the Americans were coming in. And so whoever was there likely skirted out in, in the middle of the night and uh, and got away. So a lot of the times we'd go into the villages and, and we wouldn't really find a whole lot. Um, but it was still a useful exercise because it still gave the Afghan army a chance to put into practice the stuff that we were trying to teach them. Um, and, and we were there. I like to make the... Uh, uh, analogy that we were there sort of as the driver's ed instructor where uh, the, the Afghan army was behind the wheel. They were going and, and searching door to door, going through the houses and everything. Um, but we were there to pump the brakes if things got a little out of control and we we're there to help out uh, if if need be. So um, so fortunately for, for a lot of these uh, these missions, whoever we were looking for, they they escaped and it didn't get out of control. So, so we didn't have that to, to really worry about. On this Veterans Day, I think of my Air Force Academy brothers who were killed in Vietnam. Hal Henderson and Jim Gilmore deployed to Vietnam with me in February of 1969. Every time the airplane stopped at the refueling points, Hal would call the Red Cross to see if he had learned about his wife having a baby yet. A couple of weeks later, he showed up at Da Nang with a box of cigars with pink bands on them. And we all went to the officers club to celebrate. Lisa Marie. Hal was killed in August of 1969. Jim Gilmore was killed on the 2nd of June, 1969, when his plane was shot down. And my other classmate, Kensano was killed on that same day when his plane was shot down. Absolutely, and it's great to be here. I retired from active duty. I was medically retired after nine and a half years. Um, and so what does Memorial Day mean to me? And one of my thoughts is, is that's a very great and very powerful question, right? Um, at a minimum, it means that we as Americans should pause, reflect, and remember all those who paid the ultimate price while serving our great nation. Generation after generation, selfless Americans raised their right hand and stepped forward to defend our freedom. These men and women, our brothers and sisters, stood up, stood strong to meet the challenges facing our nation and did what our nations ask, you know, um, and they did it with determination, courage, and devotion. And all of us know or should know that preserving our freedom sometimes comes with the ultimate cost. And that's unfortunate. Um, among our fallen brothers and sisters, our teammates, friends, and especially family members, because they belong to somebody, right? And so this particular day offers a very solemn opportunity to respect on their sacrifice, reflect on it, think about it, ponder it and their service. So we make sure they're never forgotten their stories, who they were, how they served, their courageous spirits, 
and, and, and what that means to each of us that served with them, right? Their act of valor and courage should never be forgotten um, because of how it drives us, how it motivates us, how it reminds us of what we're capable of and what we're called to do. And if someone is still a soldier or a Marine, an airman, or, or whatever, Coast Guard, whatever, however you raise your right hand and you serve, you serve for a purpose. And these people ran the gauntlet, you know, before you and all of our younger generation, they need to understand that truth. And it's not an easy truth, but it is truth, right? All these individuals that served before us from every war um, should be something that we think about. We want to share their stories because many of us have stories of our brothers and sisters at arms before they passed away. Stories of their life at home, fun stories from the odd combat world that we all enjoyed, even though it was chaotic and full of carnage and nonsense, right? All of those things come together, but we don't want their stories and motivation to be lost from generation to generation, right? We live in the land of the free because of them, because of their sacrifice. They chose to raise their right hand to defend the Constitution and to defend the United States of America and let people have that opportunity to make their own decisions that are out there, right? There are many people from all branches of service who gave their life and service to this country. That being said, I am reminded of what I did before I deployed. So this is the personal side of the story. Before I deployed, I did 11 knock on the door notifications where I show up in the driveway into the front door to knock on the door of a family and say, so-and-so is not coming home. And I did 11 of those. And you see the reactions of the siblings, of the parents, of everyone else. And then you do the ramp ceremonies in the United States. Then you do the funeral ceremonies in the United States because they were deployed in a combat zone in Iraq or Afghanistan. And now I'm there having to spend time with the family to talk to them about the death of their son or daughter or their spouse, right? Um, So then you fast forward, I deploy. um, And in my time of my deployments, just over 200 soldiers alone that I was in the cash with, which is a combat support hospital. Um, I cleaned their bodies. I pulled their IDs, their wedding rings, their pictures, anything that was significant and important to family members. I wrote letters home to the family. Then I did the ceremonies in a tent or on the side of a mountain. And then we put them on a black hawk for a ramp ceremony and we're sending them home. Um, And then I know what the families are gonna feel when this is told to them and said soldiers coming home for a ramp ceremony in the United States. 
Um, and like I said, I did um, just over 200 soldiers um, in my time. And then I also participated in human remains recovery, where you try to find every part of a human being to send home to the family um, so that they know their son or daughter or spouse, you know, is, is back home. Um, so Memorial Day for me, you know, has always taken a different toll on me mentally and emotionally. And it's taken me quite a while to get to this point where I am today on this podcast. Um, at the beginning, I was retired. I was medically retired um, from Germany in 2016. And so for about the first three to four years on Memorial Day, um, I would spend it with myself with a bottle in a veteran cemetery where I would just hang out where veterans who had passed on before me were buried and I would sit there with them in honor, looking at their headstones, drinking my whiskey um, because I had become a functional alcoholic at the time um, just so I could pass the time and be with people that I thought I should be there too. Um, However, I'm still here for various reasons and I do what I do for the army now Um, you know and I had to ask myself this question when I first got out why would I want to hang out with somebody at a barbecue or a pool party on Veterans Day uh, Memorial Day I'm sorry um, when nobody's going to know what the hell I'm thinking about they're not going to know unless they're a veteran unless they've served they would know but I can tell you now over the last three or four years I do two things basically on Memorial Day I will still go to a memorial ceremony at an installation or to a veteran cemetery and spend time there and then I will come back and spend time with the community and with people because they matter because they love you, because they care. They may not understand, but their heart is there and they care. And, you know, at the end of the day, our community and our people group matter. They, they sustain us. They encourage us. They listen to us, you know, and I get the opportunity to talk to other soldiers and other veterans. And I will share this with you. Um, At one point, early on after my retirement, I wrote my own suicide letter because I was really close, just like a lot of my brothers and sisters are. I watched a a handful of my brothers and sisters after combat take their own lives. They made it through combat, but you get back stateside, you get back Kaunas, and the demons are just too much. And they took their own life. Um, And those were my buddies. Those were my sisters. And so now, you know, I wrote my own suicide letter. I still have it just for emotional, just reminders, just of, hey, brother, you were there. 
talk to anybody and everybody that thinks they might be there and let them know you've been there after the fact. Um, and so Memorial Day for me is obviously a time to remember generation upon generation of military personnel who paid the ultimate sacrifice um, for us to have the freedoms that we have, but also for somebody like me, it's a challenge to me to continue to move forward to take care of military personnel and their families because here's what people forget. Said human being who lost his life in service to his country, their families are the ones that are still alive. And it's, it should be a solemn effort of how we take care of them and make sure they're okay as a spouse and the children's and things of that nature. Um, and so I think it's incumbent upon us who have persevered and made it through that time to make sure we still take care of those who are left behind. And so while Memorial Day is great for a lot of people with their barbecues and swimming parties and going to the beach. Um, it's also a time for us as veterans to remember what we went through, who we are now, but a reminder of what are we going to do with it to make sure we maximize the legacy of those who passed on before us. No, it did um, when I had to write my first letter home to a family, right? I would write, write the letters home to the family in partnership with my task force command team. Um, but I knew what those family members were going to experience. And so I wanted the letter that we wrote from our command to really emphasize a lot of love and encouragement um, and empathy for the loss of their son or daughter or their spouse, um, that it was also a loss for us. It just made it deeper, I guess, uh, especially when you're sending the soldier home, you know, on a hero flight with the wedding rings, the pictures of the kids, um, the spouse or letters from the spouse and things that they had in their ACH, their combat helmet or underneath their, you know, OTV, their, their body armor vest or things like that, because all of those things mattered. And, you know, sending that back to them with those letters because I had done it 11 times. And so the myriad of emotions that will happen in those situations, um, at least I was aware of that so I could try to help my command team provide some sort of closure for the service of their son or daughter or spouse while we were in country. hundred percent on both sides. Um, and I watched a lot of soldiers in combat um, when we would do 
memorial ceremonies in country before we did the hero flight, I watched them psychologically shift to harden their hearts because they didn't want to share their emotions. And I was just as guilty um, of that at the same time because it was just over and over and over. Um, But then I found myself in conversations with these warriors and they're like, Chappie, because that was my nickname. They're like, Chappie, what do you do? And I'm like, brother, when I'm alone, I cry. I got to let it out. I got to express it because I cannot become hard and jaded with what we do and who we are. And this is unfortunately, potentially what's going to happen. And so I have to make sure my heart is still conditioned to provide the empathy and the love that is needed in those situations, you know, um, you know, and, and then you come home <laughs> and then it's vastly different and you're dealing with all this other chaos and nonsense um, and trying to figure out what's wrong with these other human beings in our country. What do we do? Oh my gosh. Right. But that same realm of love and empathy still needs to apply not necessarily for them per se but for ourselves because it reminds us it's like a litmus test you know it's who am i what kind of man am i what kind of woman am i what kind of human being am i i know what i went through they don't know but their life still may hurt and it still may suck and i've been there so i can be there for them I can help them, you know? There's so much that as a combat veteran you bring to the table um, that you can legitimately help people with what's going on in their world, you know? However, you gotta put your shields up. You gotta have, you know, shields up and put your boundaries up. Um, So you gotta pick and choose, but at the same time, there's a lot to offer from anybody, as you know, that's worn the uniform and has been through any sort of traumatic chaos in their military career, what you can offer somebody else and say, hey, been there, done that, and I got you. I'm here, you know. No, that's right. You know, I've had conversations. I mean, come on. It's 2023 and I've been retired since 2016. And I still have young soldiers ask me, what was it like to be blown up so much? (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, I got blown up six times. I spent time at Walter Reed, had neck surgery. I got titanium in my neck. I'm like, hey, I'd do it all over again because I was with my brothers and my sisters. And we were doing what we were called to do for the right reasons. You know, bad people do bad things. So good people go do bad things to those bad people. That's just a part of who we are. And and that's a reality. And everybody else that is around you in that process, they understand that. And they're going to make sure they, they, they do what they do to take care of you. You're like, oh, you're a pencil pusher or a computer person. Uh, yeah, and they matter, like matter-of-factly matter. Are you kidding me? 
They're processing everything. You may be sitting on the side of a mountain, but these people are having to persevere for 12, 13 hours a day. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, man. And I'm just like, oh, you want to trade? I'll sit here. They're like, no, nah, bro, I'm not going out on patrol with you to go to this village. I'm like, it's cool. I just, I was, I was the guy that did tons of religious leader, key leader engagements because I was the religious subject matter expert. So I was in the village all the time. You know, I loved my PSD boys, my personal security detail. They were great ex-operators. It was super fun. Um, and it got nitty gritty, you know, at times it got nitty gritty. Um, but we all made it and we all did the right thing for the right reasons. You know, um, breaks my heart when I have memories of being on an OP when we got attacked, got attacked and got hit with multiple mortar rounds and small arms fire and you know I would lose four soldiers here I would lose six soldiers here or two soldiers here you know when I was there and then I fly back with them on a Chinook or a Blackhawk and then I'm cleaning their bodies in the morgue and then I'm writing the letters doing the ceremonies and then putting them on a Blackhawk for a you know hero flight um, and then yet I'm still the one left behind, you know, why them and not me is a question that came up over and over and over for even now, still sometimes I'm like, why them and not me, you know, um, what makes me any different for these young men and women to lose their lives. And I didn't, um, and so, you know, when it comes down to a day like Memorial Day, I, I really wish people would really stop and pause and remember the reason you have the opportunity and the fun and the freedom that you have today is because of everyone else that's come before us from all of our wars forward. Heck, go all the way back to for our War of Independence and who we became as the United States of America. And then fast forward through all of these engagements, for better or worse, our young men and women chose to raise their right hand, especially after Vietnam. It was not required. It's been an all-voluntary force to step up for whatever reason, right? They chose to join, but they joined and they served and they still serve you know and so take a moment to think and reflect who came before you and you are where you are today with your freedoms because of people that came before you and that still exist today people don't realize how many <laughs> human beings we still have deployed across the country current day they're everywhere. So, that's right. Absolutely. It's because of somebody else. No, they don't. They just, they just assume that it's normal. And you go, all right, cool. All right. Enjoy. 
enjoy. You know, get Freedom has never been free. Since the birth of our country nearly 250 years ago, brave men and women have answered the call to fight for the USA. In 1776, my fifth great-grandfather, Leonard Bloom, enlisted in Captain John Payton's company, 3rd Virginia Regiment, commanded by Colonel George Whedon. Corporal Volume was wounded in battle in the spring of 1777 and died shortly thereafter of his wounds. In every military conflict since then, citizens have stepped forward to give their all to protect our freedom. On Memorial Day, we pause to reflect as we honor and revere those who paid the ultimate price while serving our country. The 2023 Comprehensive Moral Injury Conference, hosted by the Moral Injury Support Network for Service Women, Incorporated, sponsored by Great Philosophical Problems Think Tank, is the premier international moral injury conference and continuing education event in the world. Thought leaders and researchers from around the world in the fields of psychology, chaplaincy, social work, public health, and others will gather in Atlanta, Georgia for this top-notch event. Are you a psychologist, social worker, licensed professional counselor, medical professional, public health practitioner, or chaplain? The 2023 Comprehensive Moral Injury Conference will help bridge the gap in knowledge by presenting introductory and immediate level instructions on moral injury research, assessment tools, and interventions being used by thought leaders and practitioners. This conference takes a holistic, collaborative approach to moral injury. Regardless of where clinicians, chaplains, and therapists work, they are likely to encounter a person with moral injury and should understand how to identify it as well as help the person or get them the care that they need. The conference will take place June 6th through 8th, 2023 at the Hilton Peachtree City Atlanta Hotel and Conference Center. This will be a hybrid event with all main presentations live streamed for those who cannot attend in person. It is worth 12 continuing education hours for psychologists, social workers, chaplains, and nurses. Find out more by going to chaplainconsultants.com. That's chaplainconsultants.com. Then click the Programs and Events menu and you will see the link to the conference webpage. You can also call 910-701-0306. That's 910-701-0306.
I ran into my Air Force Academy brothers, Bob Moore and Rick Charlins, when I was visiting NKP base in Thailand. I had dinner with them and Bob told me about the son he had that he hadn't met yet. And Rick and Bob both flew A1s. They told me about uh, their incredible war stories. Uh, a few days later, Bob was killed uh, in October of 1969, and Rick Chorlins was killed in January of 1970. Mike Blassie was a, a, a freshman at the Air Force Academy when I was a senior. He was killed on the 11th of May, 1972, in the Battle of Anlock. He was entombed in the grave of the unknown soldier at Arlington until DNA revealed it was him and they disinterred his body and had him buried. Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again.